Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... We're rolling. And this is where the magic starts. Um... So, show. Are you checking in from Atlanta? I am. Is that that's where you currently reside? Yep, the wonderful state of Atlanta, Georgia. Is this? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I am telling you, dude. It's that its place. Own, it's its own place. Every it is. time I go, I'm like, this thing has grown. Yes. Since I've been here, Atlanta is one of those places. It's like Detroit for me. Where it's like you forget that it's in Michigan. I take offense. I take offense to that. You <laughs> said Detroit, and I already Shots took offense. Fired. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. But it's like Atlanta is Atlanta, and then yeah. you're like, oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it's in Georgia. That's like, right. And yeah, it's like I Detroit agree. is Detroit, and you're like, oh, I'm up in Michigan. I'm like, I thought you were going to Detroit. Oh, that's right. Detroit's in Michigan. Right, right, right. <laughs> this is true. This is true. It's more like uh, Michigan's around Detroit and Georgia's right. around Atlanta. Right. I kind of feel like it needs to be its own district. So we, you know, I'm going to go ahead and lead that charge and see if we can even get the district. Y- y'all be the other DC. Like right. y'all be the other district of, of Columbia, be district of Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. And but when, it, you know, the world, when there's a succession of North and South, this would be the capital of the South. Like <laughs> You're that. right, man. There's <laughs> no doubt about that. There's no doubt. That place is so much more hip and further along than any of yeah. the other Southern cities, in my opinion. So is it's, it, are you in like a home studio? No, I'm just in my home, which oftentimes is my studio. Right. Uh, Touché. I'm, I'm not very productive because, as we're going to talk about, there are little ones that <laughs> yes. congregate in this space. Right, right. And, well, and, it's and a safe I'm, place. If kids come in in the middle of the podcast, oh, no, we love that. I ship yeah. them off on, on a regular basis. You know, <laughs> good, yeah. good. Between the hours of 8 and... I sometimes I forget to pick them up. So yeah, yeah, sure. yes, <laughs> eight and sometime, eight and sometime, no, eight until yeah. the call where your wife's like, "You got the kids, right?" <laughs> so, Wait, exactly. Until the school calls you. Until the school is like, uh, "You remember you had kids here, right?" Like, oh, really? I'm conveniently trying to forget that. Yeah, I'm in the middle of this amazing rhyme. Please don't bother me. <laughs> um, so, sure, I'm going to intro you here. This is what we call the brag sheet. This is where we uh, tell people about you and what you're up to. So I'm going to read this. Um, and uh, this, there's some flexes in here, man. I'm, I'm going to give it up for you. Okay. So right. Joe Baraka, which coolest name ever on this podcast without competition, <laughs> is a globally recognized recording artist, performer, culture curator, which is two of the coolest words in a row I've ever heard, <laughs> activist and writer. His work combines his ar- artistic platform with his academic history to contribute a unique perspective, elevating the contemporary conversation on faith, art, and culture. An alumnus of Tuskegee University, which, man, props for that. And the mm-hmm. U- University of North Texas, or UNT in the house. Yep, yep. Baraka is a co-founder of 4th District and the AND campaign, and he has served in his adjunct professor, which, God, so many flexes here, Wake Forest School of Divinity. Not just Wake Forest, but School of Divinity, which, like, to me, ups that a few. <laughs> like, you're already, you were cool, and then you jumped up with another thing. He was also an original member of Influential Hip Hop Consortium. Consortium, another cool word. 116 Click, recording with Reach Records. Shout out to Lecrae. Baraka lives in Atlanta with his wife, Patrice, and their three children, which you've already referenced, um, and how he forgets to pick them up, much like John and I forget <laughs> to pick our kids up. Um, so, okay, so, so I gotta, I gotta, I'm coming in hot on a few things here, okay? I, I, a couple first that we also want to say, John mentioned this earlier when we were getting ready for this podcast, you know, you're the first, yeah, you're the first professor. First professor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's go. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, we so may, that's... we may, uh, and we'll talk about this later. There'll be some paperwork, but we're going to try to get you to be our like professor in residence. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm all for if it's it. okay, you, you don't have to answer now. You don't have to say yes yeah, yet. Don't say <laughs> yes or no. Please don't okay. say no, but uh, oh, don't say anything. <laughs> um, so the first professor and also the first MC, which is to me, Double huh. exciting. Yeah, we haven't had an MC yet. First of all, I just want to I want to give a shout out. I was listening to the narrative, which that record, man, it's for all of those who are listening, I would just say pause the podcast and go listen to show's album called The Narrative. It is so good, man. Thank you. It's Thank like you. it is it's just oh my God. It's everything I think great hip hop should be. And I really mean Thank that. You very it's much. like so good. So so as I'm listening to it, I started laughing out loud because one of the best lines I've ever heard in my life. And I quote, it's hard to stay grounded when you know you fly as you're, as you're talking about your wife. And I was like, that is, I would retire after that line. I was like, that's one of the best lines I've ever heard. But I sent the narrative to, so we have a friend that's been on the podcast, a guy named Isaac Kirk, and Isaac loves hip hop. And so I was like, dude, have you heard this album? And, and this is his exact quote. Yeah, Dash, his pen game tight. And I was like, okay, that's the coolest phrase. I immediately texted Isaac back. I was like, you just said the coolest phrase I've ever heard in my life. His pen game tight. I was like, I, I love it. I love because when you when you want to emphasize the greatness, the phonetics and like yes, grammar, yes. sentence, all that goes out the window. You got to emphasize. You got to. You can only explain it through bad grammar. <laughs> you can only explain good grammar by bad grammar. By bad grammar, it's just like. If he were grammatically correct, it would be a little insulting. He'd be good. So, right. real quick, and I, I, I have a question for you that I, I, this is this is something I need to ask. Like, you know, this past year obviously has been a, a really tense mm -hmm. year in America, and we we launched the podcast last summer, and every time we have a guest who's a person of color, I have drop the ball on asking questions that I want to ask for a couple of reasons. One, I've, I, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I Two, I don't want to burden our guest mm -hmm. with, I don't, want, I don't want to be the guy who's like, hey, I'm going to take all of my <laughs> ignorance and expect <laughs> you to educate me. Go. <laughs> you know? I hear you. Um, but in the last couple of years, for me, have been so eye-opening. I remember listening to an interview uh, on the Liturgist podcast with Propaganda. And that, I, I mean, I remember the moment. I remember the day. It was like there were so many things mm -hmm. that I was ignorant to. Uh, my best friend since fifth grade is Asian. And we just, you know, six months ago had a conversation where he was like, oh, yeah. And Anytime I walk into a, a group, I'm a, I always look for another minority. Just, yeah. Is there someone else there? And I just, I felt all this, you know, uh, I guess just guilt sort of about like not being aware of all this stuff. Anyway, mm -hmm. and when we, when we have guests on, I've just dropped the ball at, at asking these questions. And so I have two questions for you, you if, if I may. Can you bear the burden of the yeah, world? I, yeah, you know, and forgive me. You're, I, I want to say, just like, like I can't I'll drop the ball one more time. Well, and you know, <laughs> show this is what we were talking about. Like John yeah. and I were talking about this before because um, it, it's so tricky as as like a white dude, which 
That's a hysterical comment just to say in general. It's tricky to be a white dude. You're like, no, you try my world for me. <laughs> um, but like, you know, because the last thing I ever want to do is make any of my black friends feel like mm-hmm. it's your job to right. educate me. And, and right. so if you look at social media, especially, there's, there's this real rift because you'll have people like that I follow and respect that'll say, hey, man. And, and, and honestly, you know, uh, my black friends here are like, hey, that's what we're here for, man. Like, yeah. ask us questions. And yeah. so you see one voice and, right. and one sort of part of the culture say that. Mm-hmm. And then you have another that is like, hey, can I tell you what my job is not? Yeah. <laughs> is to like Absolute, sort of yeah. be your right. emissary right. to all yeah. things cultural, you know? Yeah. So it's tricky. No. And, and so when John and I talked about this, it's like, man, it's such a tricky space to enter that John, with these questions, which I love these questions, I was like, because the last thing I want you to feel like is like, Hey, can you tell us how to do these things? You know, no, I, if I felt any type of way about it, I wouldn't have written a book like this. Or gotcha. Yeah, that's you know, I, I feel, and to your point, Dave, I think that, yeah, I've been. It's funny. I've been that. I've been on both sides of, the, of that spectrum. I've been uh-huh. the person who's spoken at rallies and say, "Look here, white people, I'm not here to be your savior." <laughs> like, there are millions of book written books written on yeah, this right. stuff. And then I've been times when I was like, "Well, that's not fair." Like, if people are 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 seeking awareness and they want some sort of enlightenment on anything. Mm. Like, how do we expect them to grow in knowledge? You know what I mean? Um, mm, right. And so for me, I am, I recognize it's, it's, it's not being fixed in a particular position. It's just where it's understanding your capacity at the time. Huh. And so there yeah. are moments in when I, I know, like, I don't, I don't know if right, right now is the, the best time. And it's also, it's also good, and I will say this before we get into um, the questions. It's also very wise for white people to understand that racism in America is not a black problem primarily. Mm. It's a white mm-hmm. people problem. It's yeah. it's something that's it's a <laughs> mental illness of white people. Man. The black community has its own pathologies that we need to deal with, and the white community has their pathologies that they need to deal with. And when we talk about racism, um, yeah, I do think you need you you know with any illness you seek a physician. You say how do I how do I how do I fix this? How do I deal with this? But um, ultimately, at some point, people who struggle with racism and, and who've benefited from it and, and operate in particular spaces where it seems like um, there could be areas of injustices that are perpetuated, mm. need to begin to look inward and say, how do we get here? What do we create? How do we mm. continue to benefit from it? And how do we, the perpetuators of this, fix it and deal with it? Yeah, um, and the best way to do that is by yeah healthy communication. Yeah, that's sometimes right. that healthy said. communication also means conflict as well. Yeah. But yeah. right, yeah. yeah, and I well and said. I do I have felt like you know what my fear is in addition to not wanting to put someone out, my fear is selfish. Like Mm-mm. I don't want to come off like an idiot, you know. Yeah. But but part of me is like well. Maybe that's just part of the yeah. deal here. Let's <laughs> just, how about I be the idiot? Because there are people listening that are like, yes, please have that conversation because I want to know about X, Y, Z or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So my two questions are, I, I just want to know what this past year has been like for you personally. Um, you know, you grew up in Southern California through the 90s and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I'm sure it's not you're not experiencing this the way that a lot of white people are experiencing this sort of like awakening you know and two what what do you what would you say to people like me who are like we i want to be an ally i want to keep realizing any and all areas where i might be unknowingly 
you know, contributing mm-hmm. to some sort of system of yeah. oppression that, that, you know, what would you say, but, but we don't know how to go about it, you know? Yeah, this, so let me, there's a lot of things that came to mind. This is great. Um, the, the first thing I think we all have to understand is that um, there are, you know, a couple maxims that go around. And, and one about the black community is that black people aren't a monolith. Black people are diverse. And so right. when I speak, I speak mm. for myself. Yeah. I speak That's, for people yeah. who I think have similar viewpoints as me, mm. because I know for sure that I have a different view about justice than some of my friends have. Mm. I have a different view yeah. about justice and how we are to find, I guess you can say, uh, solutions towards racial tensions than some other popular um, you know, thought leaders on Twitter have. Mm. People I respect. There are some people I... I highly respect, but I heart, I highly disagree with them. I'm mm. like, the, and I'm at the point where I said, your, your views are probably toxic and dangerous. And I mm. don't know if anybody should hear anything you say mm. for the rest of the day. But, mm. you know, I respect you as an individual. So mm. let me first say that. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting you brought up the 90s. One of the things that, you know, as an individual like myself, I had to deal with the fact that I was a young black man at, shoot, at a very early age, you talk mm. about the Rodney King yeah. verdict and beating. You talk about the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about I don't know if you're familiar with this, but like David Duke rising mm. to popularity and him doing rallies at in Southern California, mm. and you just wonder like, what is all this? What's happening? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a household where my my father played professional football, mm. um, but uh. my mother never felt like she had to work because her husband was you know football player was going to provide for us. But when they divorced, um, you know, mm. you see these these. This this huge disparity in incomes. Mm. So when I stayed with my father, I was probably one of the only black kids in a large group of the classroom. Mm. When I stayed with my mom, <laughs> I was one of the only black kids who, like, didn't you know who knew what conjunctions were, or <laughs> like, because mm. my mom lived in the hood. And I'm not trying to disparage people in you know particular uh, communities, but it was just I always got made fun of because of. They said I was talking like I was white, right? Mm, wow. And so um, there's this conflict. There's this inner turmoil that, you know, an individual like I had to deal with. And so for, that's a large part of why I went to Tuskegee University. Wow. Because I wanted to figure out, like, what does it mean to be black? Like, what mm. is black identity? How do I celebrate blackness? How do I, you know, understand the the history and the, the, the pantheon of those people who came before me? And so, uh, in all of that, I've always had this view of America as um, as a place that has great possibilities, but hasn't quite dealt with its history. Yeah. And and uh, as I say in the book, and as many people have said in the past, you you can't get to reconciliation unless you deal with you know the truth. Mm, and right. if you People want reconciliation without dealing with the truth. And you're married men. You understand, like, if you have an alt with your wife for over a long period of time, and then you're like, hey, girl, you know, what's up with this bedroom? <laughs> she going to look at you like you're crazy. You're like, excuse me, sir? You just giving me the cold shoulder. You treating yeah. me like nothing for the last, et cetera. And now you expect some sort of intimacy here. Yeah. And in the same way, yes, legalized racism ended, you could say, in the 70s. Mm. However, what are the imp- the impacts of the people who benefited from the legalized slavery? Um, how have those people who grew to power because of that segregation s- created opportunities for folks that look like them and marginalize other people? And so, yes, even though 
there is no legalized racism in this country, the the shrapnel of it still exists. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like my yeah. mother and maybe some of your you know parents, um, when they were in middle school and junior high, mm -hmm. they had, probably were forced to go to separate schools because of segregation, and that impacts the family, right? Yeah. Um, that impacts where they go to college, which means that impacts their social status in life, which means that impacts me and mm -hmm. so how I how I'm raised and how I grow up, and so. It's really about how do you have these conversations with people without making them feel like there's no hope for them. And this mm. is the reason why some of the language and the postures, uh, uh, some of the language and posture of some of the activists and um, theorists today, I, I don't necessarily agree with because I don't believe anybody's beyond redemption. I don't believe any institution is beyond redemption. Mm. Um, I also don't believe everything needs to be blown up. Um, I do believe there is great redemption and reconciliation that needs to happen. Um, but I also feel like there are people who operate as individuals and they're jack A's or they're bad people. I don't know if we can use strong language or not. <laughs> they're bad people. And that just because I have had an experience with a, you know, an organization and the boss of that organization is racist, I can't say that I'm going to create a theory that says all people mm are an obstacle for me because mm. of their skin color. Um, right. And so that's my view of justice. However, I do, I do feel in the same, same breath that there is a responsibility for those people who've benefited from marginalizing particular people groups to evaluate their power, their privilege. And here's the caveat. We all have privilege in some sort of way or fashion. Um, um, and so trying to act like we don't, I think, is irresponsible. Mm. However, mm -hmm. there are some people who have different types of privileges mm. and some privileges have afforded people particular benefits and putting people in particular places of advancement that other people didn't get. And so what I will say as a Christian man, when I think of someone who has privilege, I think of Christ and how he uses that privilege for the blessing and the benefit mm. of other people. Yeah. And if that's the way you wield your power and privilege, blessings to you, have all the privilege that you have. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I if somebody works hard and, and achieves something, I think for for the most part, we can say that they've earned it. Obviously, there's always arguments to say, you know, somebody was. But at the end of the day, if they turn around and they try their best to use that power, that privilege and those resources to help people. And I feel that's what um, our white brothers and sisters can do without feeling like they have to be um, like... Uh, self-deprecating and like, oh, it's I hate being white. I'm um yeah. the the worst of the worst. It's like, look, be proud of who you are. Be proud of your history. Castigate the parts of your history that you shouldn't be proud of. Right. You know, <laughs> throw that stuff away. Yeah. <laughs> if you need some help, I can give you some heroes that you should admire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But love who you are. Like, yeah. you know, if you're a southerner, love being a southerner, you know? Mm. But there are look, I love my family. Uh, I don't love the alcoholism that ran through my family. Mm -hmm. I don't love the abuse that ran through my family. But you're not going to tell me I can't love my family mm -hmm. and where we come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's to your detriment to not recognize the alcoholism in the family. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. If you ignore that, but see, here's the problem with with America. Not only did they try to not ignore the alcoholism, they made statues of the alcoholism. They were like, well, here's this alcoholic that we want to celebrate right here. And here's another alcoholic we want to celebrate. It's like, wait, hold up. I thought this was not a good thing. Why are we... 
And so when you think about the Confederacy, that is somewhat, even though I'm not someone who wakes up and if I drive past Stone Mountain, I, there's just this great evil that comes over me. And it's like, I can't succeed today because mm. Stone Mountain's over here. Mm. It's like, I don't care. You can have your, uh, I, when I was walking on UVA's campus and Thomas Jefferson, Robert E., whoever it was, I was like, that, bother, that doesn't bother me at all mm. because I know who I am. I know what my ancestors have contributed to this country. Mm. I feel like I am just as American as this individual who probably had a different idea of Americanism than I did mm. and my mm. ancestors. Um, and the other reason I, and this is, I'm not trying to make a false equivalent here, but the other reason why I don't get too caught up in memorializing people is because I know my heroes, the people I love, are, can be problematic and they have mm. shadows. And I would hate for somebody to tell me that I can't celebrate an individual because they were a womanizer, or I mm. can't celebrate this individual because they said some things about Native Americans, or mm. I can't celebrate this person because at some point they didn't have a strong view about suffrage. Mm. Like, man, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, and is it we should acknowledge that, but they also contributed great to this country and to particular people groups. You yeah. know, that, that is one of the, I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine at breakfast about this the other day. Isn't that the conundrum of our mm -hmm. belief set of Christianity? The God grabs these terrible, conflicted people and does amazing things to them. And that is my story. It's all of our stories as believers. And I think that's what's so God's genius, genius swipe mm. is just this thing of going, you know, I don't take perfect people and do perfect things. I take imperfect exactly. people and accomplish my will through. And I think that that is when you can see the Bible. And I think that's, you know, that's a whole other digression on the way we've sort of taught Sunday school for years and not yeah, done a yeah. great job. But to go, you know, the story of Samson, the story of any of these Old Testament prophets, the New Testament heroes, is not that they were amazing people. It's that they weren't amazing people. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? And so I think yeah. when, when that is, to me, something that's such a frustrating thing about what we believe is you got to sort of get on board with going, you know, to your point, like. These people that do amazing things aren't always purely amazing people. I mean, none of us are, you know? Yeah, and there are consequences for propping up people who... Yes, yes. ...who aren't amazing. And when they, you know, for instance, if Israel wants a king, right, mm. God's telling them... <laughs> I'm telling you, this may not be a good idea, y'all. <laughs> but I'm gonna leave you up to your own... Exactly. To yeah. But I'll leave you up to your own devices. If this yeah. is what you want... The the problem is is we don't recognize that when we are left to our own devices and and insatiable appetites, mm. that eventually we have to deal with the the backlash and the consequences mm. of that. And not to shame, but to heavily critique anybody. Like I feel that's what Donald Trump was. Donald yeah. Trump was yeah. the evidence of people seeing victory as a possibility, and they were like. I mean, yeah, he's a jerk. <laughs> he's yeah, he's a terrible person, but he can win. Yeah, and he he's he's gonna he's gonna help me get back to some place I don't know of of normalcy that we right. we want as a nation. Yeah. It's like okay, but understand that there are consequences to this. And mm -hmm. just like God told Saul, I told the Israelites, like, mm -hmm. hey, he's gonna do this to your children. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. do this to your resources. Yep. other nations will view you like this. And now we're 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 seeing the effects and the impact of um, surrendering our our ethics and morals as a nation in order to win. And one of the things I like to say is sometimes is uh, winning is looks like dying on the cross. Ooh. And this is why I say mm, when you look at Jesus in power and privilege and the people who are 
who uh, white people in particular, I say sometimes winning is just dying to your own self-interest. Mm. Um, I'm a huge believer in reparations. <laughs> mm, yeah, uh, I don't know how to implement them. I'm not mm. going to sit here and act like I, there are many people who, who've uh, studied these things and who've written books. But I also recognize if you've Benefit. developed huge endowments, yeah, off of the back of slavery, yeah, and now you're like, "Oops, my bad." <laughs> that doesn't seem like the proper repair and repentance. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> Um, like like fist, is, fist bump it and be like, we'll do better. Like exactly, yeah. It's like, it's like no. Like, I think there's some ways that you can make better on that forgiveness on that on that on that uh, on that yeah. repentance. Yeah. So man, sometimes winning looks like dying on a cross. Jeez, that's gonna please, be my man. next tattoo. God, yes. please <laughs> do it. That's In Hebrew, do it across my back. <laughs> just the top. Um, okay, you, let me let me just say because we, we want to talk about this book because the book is wonderful. But thank you for that. Thank yes. you for your wisdom. Thank that. you. I think no, that is you. incredibly. And you have solidified yourself as our resident. Yeah, professor so congratulations. Now. And now you don't really I get a choice. It. We're just going to send it stuff to you and hope that you answer <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> yeah. So 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 he saw that it was good. First of all, really good looking guy on the cover. Again, mm. we don't know exactly who that is. Trying um, to figure it out. Trying to figure he it out. He saw we... that it was good looking. <laughs> that that you know had what? to be a working title. I think you I think you heard something. He saw that it was good looking. That'll be the paperback. My yeah, life. There you go. Exactly. The show show. That's what, that it, is that's a, what the subtitle yeah. is. Um, so so kind of one of the things that I read that I thought I wanted to, to say and speak to the book and sort of what it's about, and, and I thought this was really well written. You're inviting Christians to think critically about weak and cre work. <laughs> Boy, I could get that real <laughs> about weak and creative weak life, and creative. which is sadly a struggle I have about my creative life. But it's actually <laughs> work and creative life so that we can all harness our gifts to advance the gospel, stand for justice, and heal brokenness. As you can imagine, this resonated a lot with John and I being you know, in the creative field, mm -hmm. like really mm -hmm. using our creativity. Um, and I loved some of these talking points. Like I told John before, I was like, I hate being the guy that's like, you take the talking, but they're just so good. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Cause I never want to be mm -hmm. this guy like, Oh, I just got the sheet. And we, but I was like, this is too good. We got to talk about these things. One of the talking points that I thought was so compelling. I mean, they all are having to edit. This was kind of a nightmare, but there's a point in there where it says some people may believe their work is too small or insignificant to make a difference. Yeah. And, and I, I, and they say, you know, this is one of these things I'd love to hear you speak on what, what, and cause I can imagine our listeners everywhere from, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, people who are kind of those people in industries that they kind of think, look, I do this job, I go home. But, you know, what, what encouragement do you have for that, for that group? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is pretty much one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I wanted to communicate that everybody is contributing to either the flourishing or the detriment mm. of their surroundings. Mm. And to think that your work is insignificant is, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, it's true ignorance in the sense that People just don't know, mm. but then it could be like blissful, blissful ignorance in the sense yeah. that they just yeah. don't want to. They don't want to think that they can, can make a difference, and so it's just like, well, I'm just a entry level employee. I mm. I can't really make a difference. When the reality mm. is, is oh no, you you can. History has shown that people who have been in your position have made great impact and changed institutions, companies, organizations, politics, nations, mm. but also that people in your position. Um, regretted, like in the Holocaust, you talk about people mm. who could have made decisions to not do things, but decided to just go along with, mm. um, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, 
uh, just go along with the the flow. Yeah. Um, right. Because authorities told them to do so, right? Yeah. And then during trials, they were like, uh, I, I was I just was told to do it. And it's like, well, sir, you <laughs> you made a decision. You, you made a decision. Here's this punishment. To get more, more theological, um, this book is well. First, say this book is not just for creatives, and I mm. think. When you see the word creative calling or people often think, oh, this is a book for artists right, and this right, is written by an right. artist. And I, and I really wanted to be really intentional from the jump saying like, no, this is for anybody who is in the process of creating. So to get really theological mm. in Genesis 1, we see God create mm. and he creates us. And if we're made in his image, then we are individuals who create and we produce. Mm. And the act of producing something, the act of contributing your hands to labor, your mind to labor... Um, your activity is to be creative because you're creating either a solution, you're creating some sort of product for somebody to consume. Hmm. And are you evaluating as you hover over the void as God did, hmm. are you evaluating, will this be good? Because the beautiful yeah. thing about God's creation after he was done with each one, he says it was good. And I think oftentimes we're like, we'll create, we're just like, it's sufficient. <laughs> right. <laughs> This'll do. <laughs> yeah, right. But are we we'll just making a breakup song? <laughs> We're yeah, just making <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that dog on legislation. I just don't know what to do with that. Um but no, it's just, you know, look, no, you are uh to your point, if you're a stay at home mother, stay at home father, you're producing a child that is gonna be a contributor to society. Mm -hmm. What is the best way that I can in my creative way to impact them with the stories I tell, how they view God, how they view others, how they view people who are not like them, how they view evil. If you are an engineer, you're building or contributing to the structure of something. If you are a teacher, you're developing minds. Mm -hmm. So you're always cultivating. This, this, that's a consistent thing as human beings. We're always cultivating. And so my challenge was to get people to see that as an intentional activity, not a passive activity. Mm, yeah. Oh, gosh, I love I that. I like that. And I like that it, that's like a practical thing uh, for people to do to connect their work to something bigger. Mm -hmm. But it also connects, it shows us how connected we are. You know, yeah, the engineer absolutely. that's working on the road or whatever, like yeah. fully see your your contribution, you know, yeah. to the well, world. Tim Keller's got a great whole thing yes. on that about the idea that it's exactly what you said. It's exactly what you said. How you know, even Tim, the smallest, Tim stole it from me. But I was okay. going to say he's. I know. <laughs> he's, he's I, I don't want to. He's. Times. I know you've been ghostwriting for him for a while. Um, <laughs> but but you know, <laughs> again, it just reinforces what you said. That idea of like we're all contributing in some mm -hmm. way, and even the yeah. small someone that you know. I I, I think about this so much. He's like you know, think of the people that you know come in and clean your house for you. He's like if they didn't clean your house, disease and um, mm. you know infection happens, and then you die. You know, like yeah. it's it's like. All of these things have ways of contributing. One of the things, another talking point that I thought was really fascinating, and you spoke to this uh, with John's questions, but um, you know, th this question I think is really good after a challenging year of more social injustice division and division or division, sorry, and division. What can we learn about? And this is really powerful to me: the relationship between our vocations and systemic issues. And I think, again, as a white guy, that is something. This really pinged me because it was kind of another question that's in the space, and you may be able to sort of synthesize these anthem, mm -hmm. an <laughs> anthems. I, make I anthems. said, I said, <laughs> I said, synthesize, and my brain wanted to say, anther. If you could answer the question, um, <laughs> if you could answer 
Gosh, my brain is like not working. I'm so intimidated by both the MC and the professor. Um, <laughs> professor MC. Um, and, and the the Michael B. Jordan looks. Uh, I don't know just like kind of overall Michael just B. Overall Jordan look, right the now. aura of it all. No, but 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 uh-huh. sort of putting these thoughts together with you know uh, using art again or our professions to heal this societal brokenness that's perpetuated by systemic issues. I suddenly just felt this weight. I was like. Oh gosh, I'm not even thinking about that with mm-hmm. what I do, you mm-hmm. know. Like, and and I hope that people hear my songs and they see me live and they feel better. But yeah. you know, again, like, what is the relationship between what I do, what we all do, and these systemic problems? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, uh, I think there's a mm, that's a good question. I think there's a tension to. I want people to feel the weight, but I also don't want them to feel. I don't want them to get any kind of paralysis where they mm. just don't, they do yeah. nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, specifically, um, as artists, singer songwriters, I think there's a couple of things that we must consider. Um, we tell stories mm. and how you tell stories impacts how people view love. Mm. How they view breakups. Mm. <laughs> yep, there it is. There it is. I got that um, on lockdown. How yep. they break up, how they break up well, how mm. they break yep. up, you know, um, how they reconcile or seek relationships. Well, so, you know, we tell stories and we shape imagination. And so if I, you, you tell a story that is constantly um, one directional, because um, mm. that's what makes you beautiful. And <laughs> Thank um, you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> I needed that. Um, I think oftentimes, and I talk about this in the first chapter, like Dances with Wolves, Last Mohican, the Great Wall. I'm pretty sure these are great movies to yeah. people, but those are stories that are told whether they center white men and these these indigenous people groups, and they're the heroes. And they're it's like, yeah. um, that's that's one of my favorite things to do. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, that's a story, and so you do the same thing with songs, uh, and just to you know, you you can tell you can tell better stories or make sure your stories are honest. That's what I like to yeah. just say. It's just, as long as they're honest, I don't expect you to to write a song you're talking about growing up in, you know, deep <laughs> Alabama where we lynch Negroes and, you know, outlook. You don't have to, but yeah. if you're going to talk about the beauty, the gold of your your your, pl- your place, make sure that there's some honesty about mm. The frail. That's why I think country music is because country music, in some ways, is very honest about its brokenness. Mm. Um, but anyway, another big part of our our vocation, particularly as artists, is the institutional aspects of it. That I think mm. where wealth is created and platforms are established, and so I think oftentimes there are particular deals that are, you know, signed or uh, I, I guess you say contracts. And I think one of the things that the industry must do is, although it's here to make money, how do we figure out how to consider what's best, not only just for the institution and the company, but for artists as well? Mm, because yeah. some of these deals that we sign are just egregious and they're, yeah. um, they're unfair. Um, they're, they're not right. I mean, obviously you got folks like, and I don't know too much about it, but I know Taylor Swift is, you know, in her whole situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I know artists who've complained about Puff Daddy and how, he, you know, his dealings is, you know, you have these executives who come to power at the exploitation of artists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think there are institutional changes that need to happen where I'm not saying that the artist should 
um, totally, uh, there should be this, this autonomy, well, not autonomy is not the right word. There should be this power, this, 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 this subversion where they, they pull down the institution because institutions are helpful. I learned that when I left my label, I was like, oh, I think mm. I needed them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of hard being an independent <laughs> artist, you know what I mean? But I also knew it was like, well, the reason why I left is because I felt like some of the, some of the agreements we had just weren't, I weren't, I wasn't quite, I wasn't, it wasn't benefiting me, if you right, know. Right. And I think in every institution or every vocation, there's that. There's the, where capitalism can be a benefit, but it also could be a huge curse. Yeah. And it can cause great damage to societies because people are competitive and we're trying to squash competition. And there's no limit to what we'll do when, with even within law, in order to squash our competition, you'll cut corners and you'll do all these things because you want to be successful. And oh, I don't know if sometimes, <laughs> you know, my grandfather used to say, you know, uh, worse than being successful is being successful and climbing the ladder on the wrong wall, you know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> or climbing the, the ladder of success on the wrong wall. Yeah. And um, I just don't, I think a lot of our, our business ethic and dealings is the the institution or the market is dictating our values versus yeah, yeah. the human determining the value yeah, of that's great. what the marketplace should be doing. Yeah, that's great. That's really, really good. And um, I think that with yeah. with music, I mean, obviously, I really resonate with that example. I think, and this is true for all other industries, like there starts to be like a new, it's like the frog in the, in the slowly boiling water. It's like... Mm. Your, your perception of what fair is just gets changed because like you sign your first record deal in 2005 and you're like, well, this is actually a pretty good deal. Right. Absolutely. But, but that's compared to like industry standard kind of yeah, thing. Right. But then you back up a little bit more and you're like, yeah, but I, I think this is like, I think the whole system's slightly, you know, broken uh -huh. here. You know? Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, that ties into racial justice. It's like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not 1968. Uh, and black people have lots yeah. of achievements and we've come a long way and uh, no, um, you know, there's no legalized terrorism and lynching for the most part. Some people will say policing is. I'm not going to get mm. into that. But um, <clears throat> however, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Right. Um, and so there are people who are still like eh, I, I'm sensing some some unfairness, like a lack of equity and even in there some of the language can you know it's it's now it's loaded it has all these different meanings so even mm. when i say equity somebody may have this view of what it means to be you know equitable right. but right um so anyway the point is is that if we did <laughs> i use it i think i use this analogy in the book i used it so much i don't know if i just just use it in the book but um we love marvel my family loves marvel mm. Uh, everybody in the world. Has well, you to live love in Atlanta Marvel. too, so you have to love Marvel. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I love Marvel publicly because I also do a lot of film and production, and so I want to be in a Marvel film. So <laughs> it's, it's um, gonna get, it'll get there. It'll get there. I believe in you. Yeah, I, I I love Marvel too. I just I wanted to be noted. I be noted. Love Marvel. I, Marvel I also love Marvel. We could the three of us be in the Young Avengers, and I do Let's have do microphones okay. and a keyboard, and I'm able to record music. <laughs> yes. So. There you go. I am able to write <laughs> rap songs with John if there's ever a need. I have a beat John on my has iPhone. A beat. <laughs> we can plug it up. 
Oh gosh. So anyway, Marvel, uh, you it's been pushed down our throats <laughs> for the last yeah. yeah fourteen years. I don't know, but Tony Stark is you know a philanthropist businessman, but he's also Iron Man. Iron Man flies across the world saving souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why Iron Man flies around the country saving souls is because Tony Stark <laughs> creates Made a lot of money. <laughs> ridiculous. Well, no, he creates these things that causes for him to try to fix it by putting oh, yeah. on um, this suit and armor. And the reality of it is, is if, Iron, if Tony Stark just did better business, if he worked better, he wouldn't have to be <laughs> Iron Man. Uh-huh. I've actually uh-huh. never thought about that. <laughs> And so oftentimes I think about the church and Christians. I'm like, well, if we just did better work, if we created better institutions and systems, we wouldn't have to get on planes and go do missions work in particular. Or we wouldn't right. have to do this and we have to right. we wouldn't have to do like just do better work. That would save us a lot of time. If we like, went upstream a little bit more on yeah. these, these problems. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I you know, we think about, you know, missions is obviously doing the work of evangelism to get people to know Jesus, but there's also a lot of, uh, uh, you know, well digging and, you know, right. et cetera, et cetera. But oftentimes the reason why third world countries, if I can call them that for the sake of this conversation, are in those positions is because of the imperialistic, you know, ways or because of how we've raped and plum- plummaged these countries throughout yeah. history, not just America, but like yeah. the Western yeah. world. Right. And so in some ways it's like, man, like if we just would have worked better, and done better, yeah. you know. But here I am, like mm. making these grand statements over my iMac computer, uh, yeah, my, right, uh, right, my right, MacBook right. Uh, Pro, right. and my iPhone, and this nice sweater. And yeah. I mean, I'm a privileged individual. I was called privileged. I went, I went to go hang out with some friends in uh, South Africa, and these are educated, highly educated individuals, and I respect them. If they called me privileged. They was like, "No, sir, you're privileged." And I was so offended because my whole <laughs> yeah, adult life, yeah. I was always called, you know, calling white people privileged. It's like, right. no, that's, that's not that we call white people, sir. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> How yeah. dare you? Not me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he, they broke it down to me. It's like, no, you have, by being from America, you don't understand the types of influence, the power of resources and opportunities mm. you have. Mm. And you must use that, you know, as I've said earlier, for the benefit of. Uh, you know, global causes and global, wow. et cetera, et cetera. And it, it changed my view forever. Yeah. It wow. changed my view forever about being American. Wow. Yeah. Um, watch this pivot. I'm about to impress <laughs> you. We're pros here, Dad, but watch this pivot. So we know you got three kids, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Three this is actually a really good setup for the next question that has to do with kids. So here, watch this. Two step, three step, right. And now we're in it. <laughs> You know, can you sort of speak to with your kids, and I think this is as we talk about the church, and if we're doing our job, the world looks so different, right? Mm-hmm. It, how does that look telling your kids that? You know, how do you empower your kids to know that what they do matters, their work matters, and that they can make a difference? Man, that's a good question. Um, I think one is the way that we even talk about college and career can't be like, this is the trajectory to successful living. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> because ultimately what we're, what we're telling these kids is that status is really what matters. It's mm. not, wow. it's not actual production. Yeah. Vocation. In the sense vocation. of, you know, yeah, it's not, it's, actually, it's not the sense of vocation and calling. It's more of like, well, your calling is to go to college. I don't care what the Lord tells you. <laughs> and God's then, like, what's college and again? 
Exactly. And then, but that, I, there are a lot of people who will say, show as a black man, that's problematic. You shouldn't be telling kids that college isn't because mm -hmm. of the education gaps and et cetera. But I'm like, no, like, it's not, opportunity is, is opportunity, deficiencies in opportunity don't come because of lack of college. It comes because of lack of networking and opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I know I work in music. I know I have connections with film. I know I have connections in the arts. It'd be ridiculous for me to have children who come behind me and not at least expose them to the connections and the opportunities that I have, because it'll make it much easier for them to particularly prosper in those areas of life. Like, mm. um, I think I'm a huge you know, look. Everybody hates nepotism except for when they benefit from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and look, it feels like I, a, a, there's, there's a much more global application of that idea too. Like we all yeah. hate something until we benefit. Exactly from it. <laughs> until we benefit from it. I mean, justice, everything. And so yeah. for me, I I, I just really like I give I've given my daughter 15 years to make a decision on what she wants to do. Yeah, like as hobbies, not like career, but just like yeah. what are some things you want to do? She violin. Ah, uh, she barely practices. When she plays, it sounds like somebody's oh, just yeah. beating the yeah, violin. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like this is not good, ma'am. Yeah. Um, so recently, I have just <laughs> taken upon my parental duty to say, you know what you're going to do? You're going to help me. Every time I have a film shoot, you're helping me. Oh, wow. You're, you're going with me. You're going to learn something about film. How old is she? I'm, she's 16. Okay, now. okay. And okay. so you're just, you, I don't care anymore because um, what you're not going to do is just watch anime and watch somebody play <laughs> Twitch all day. Like, that's not, yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to happen. But she's that's a gamer. Great. Which, that's so great. Which I think... Is, is interesting because I'm like, well, all the things you love are visual. Like, you love mm -hmm. visual things. You love games. You love anime. So hopefully what, what, what will happen is you'll see the behind-the-scenes workings of this stuff, and then maybe it'll spark an interest in yeah. you yep. to want to move in this particular direction. And now all of a sudden you have a three-year head start on kids who yeah. are in college. And maybe you don't even need to go to college. Maybe I can get you on a set and you learn and you sit behind this person, um, I definitely want you to be educated. So college, yes, because college is, is really beneficial. So all that to say to your question, um, teaching her that sometimes um, the way that we view success, the way we view achievement isn't always um, A, to, A to Z. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the way well, that what we do you do about the, the, when they want to... You know when they want to work at Waffle House, which I've heard is maybe a problem with one of your daughters. Um, yeah, she's she uh, when we were young, when we were young, she said she wanted to work at Waffle House, and I was like, "Amen," because that means free waffles for me <laughs> for as long as you work there. Yes, yes. Uh, and all these people who act like they don't like Waffle House, they they're what's wrong with this country. <laughs> That's right. It's so, just damn. been too long since they've been to Waffle House. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's like I see the people who. The same people who act like they don't like Waffle House are the same people who like we don't give our kids tablets and devices. It's like, yeah, am I supposed to be impressed with your snobbery? I don't know. It's just, it's right, like, I don't... <laughs> so, so highfalutin. Yeah, I think that's so great bringing your daughter on on sets with you. I mean, yeah. even if she got wasn't interested at all yeah. in what's happening, she gets to see her dad do his thing. Yeah, and I think it's cool seeing her dad in the work environment. And yeah. seeing just that different dynamic and like taking you out of like, this is my dad, but this is also this guy who has this other role 
yeah and influences these other people and you know i think that's really really cool it doesn't impress her though this is mm. funny i laugh no, while you were but saying even that, if it did she's not gonna let you know that it did i'm yeah. sure yeah what's funny is, is i tweeted this the other day and it got a large response um so you know i i have friends like lecrae and tadashi i've had other friends who you know lecrae is really popular like yeah. not mm -hmm. just like oh people like he's famous now yeah, famous yeah. famous yeah. My daughter, I'll just say this. My daughter goes to the same school as Lecrae's kids. <laughs> and so one day she came home <laughs> and she was like, Dad, why, why aren't you famous like other artists? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, was just, I was like... Like, excuse me? <laughs> You're like, let me tell you something. Have you listened to the narrative? Exactly. Do you know how good that is? And it'll make that ain't me, honey. That ain't. I'm bringing the I, heat. I, it's, it's somebody else's fault. That's the listener's <laughs> fault, man. I put it That's on Twitter, hilarious. and I didn't even mean like I put it on Twitter and social media as like just as a joke, just to kind of like, yeah. you know, this is my daughter. Oftentimes, I'll share with the world my family engagements, and it was funny the. You know, people obviously laughed. They were like, hilarious, ha-ha, funny. But there were so many encouraging statements from people. Mm. Like, your father may... This one woman, oh my gosh, she wrote this letter. She's like, your father may not be famous in this way, but let me tell you what he did for me in, Jeez. like, 2010. Mm -hmm. And she, she, she wrote this long message to... She said, please let your daughter read this. And basically, I forgot about this. Long story short, her and her husband were homeless. And... uh I had met them outside of a church I was just performing out of, at, at, and they asked me if I can put them up in a hotel. And I mean, I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm the most, but I, so I did. And then I checked on them the next day and the dude was like, man, I'm, I've been looking for a job. And uh, it just so happened that I was producing a, a, a film that was a, uh, directing and producing a film that was like a six, seven day shoot. And we just needed grips, we needed hands. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, man, I'll, I'll hire you just to move equipment around for seven days if if you're willing. He was like, I'm down. So she now, she was like, you may not remember this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, of course I remember it. I remember the one good deed I do in life. And so <laughs> <laughs> and so she, sends, she writes this loving message, and it literally was bringing tears to my eyes as mm -hmm. I'm reading it. And she was like, you know, basically, it was like he may not be famous, but you know he's famous in our books because he. Wow. And now, my my husband and I have a house, and this is this, this and that. Oh, and it was just like, Lord, if I don't do oh, anything else, which I, I haven't done anything else good, <laughs> if <laughs> hopefully this will get me to heaven. Is this my penance? Is this my penance, Lord? <laughs> and I, and I showed it to her, and she read it, and she was like, she was blown away. And that's uh, amazing. And so so great. It's a. Uh, it's it's uh it's good for her to 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 see what I do. I think um, not only just on the stage, but how I engage with people. Because I don't want her just to. Here's another little maxim. I don't want her just to make a living. I want her to know how to make a life. Yeah. And I, um, I, I want that. her to 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 know that you may not be famous, baby girl. Yeah. But you know, I just want you to be famous with a few people because mm. you've done great work. I right. love that. That's, That's beautiful. So you have. So is she your oldest? Yeah, she's the oldest. And then yeah. you have two boys. Yeah, uh, fourteen and eight. And eight. Okay. Yeah. And and the the two boys have autism. Is that yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So we have some two friends of ours who uh, 
both are have just found out that their kids are on the autism spectrum and and that's that's new in their mm. world. Mm. So what what is something that you would say to, you know, parents out there who are getting that news and as yeah. a parent with two kids with, with autism what's something that you just kind of generally you know want people to know about autism well to the parents i, I will say you know it feel feel free to grieve like it's okay mm-hmm. it's okay like i think there's this complex that we we feel or this guilt better yet like we feel like i can't grieve that the fact my children have autism like because mm-hmm. that means i'm right. ashamed right. of them yeah you know what i mean um, no, it's okay. Like, be sad that you the the expectations you may have had, those may not be reality, and you yeah. need to figure out how to deal with that. And that's going to be an ongoing process. That's not just going to be like one day you do it and you're like, all right, I'm good for the no, because then they'll get to about three years or six years old, and then you'll realize that they don't operate the same as some of the kids, and then you'll get to like twelve years old, and then it's like uh, they don't even know how to swing a bat. This is pathetic. <laughs> and, then like, and it's just like but then you'll say you know what the thing that uh, it taught me is it's is just like man it is just like God it's like though my kids don't perform well they're still mm. my kids mm-hmm. and uh, I love them no differently and so um, so the one thing I'll say is that it's it may not be okay but it's okay and you mm. just gotta Every day you got to remind yourself that, and there'll be victories along the way. You know, obviously, yeah. like you said, autism is a spectrum, so some people experience it much harder than others. Um, yeah, I, I thought we had it terrible until we met, you know, families who had you know more difficult times with kids who were less independent than ours. And so it's mm-hmm. like it teaches you to to appreciate. But even if we were on the on the side of the spectrum where we felt like it was the most difficult, I still think God will give us the grace and the the. Mm the peace and patience to be able yeah. to, 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 to survive and to thrive. Um, but yeah, I would say th- that find people who've been through this journey, who are probably further along the road than you are, who can yeah. help you give you mm-hmm. insight. Um, but not only that, if they're married, if they're married and they're happily married now, know that you're going to have to work to stay happily married. Because this, it brings all kind of complications. Maybe there are two parents who worked, and now one person has to now stay home. Yeah. Um, or maybe you may need to put your kids in a specialized school, like our kids are in, and that's going to mean money. So if you don't have the money and the resources, now you have to figure out how to work now. You can't be a yeah. stay-at-home father and mom. And so it, it creates these dynamics, and guess what? You also still have to figure out how to love your love each other and love yourselves as well. Because the other thing about parenting in general as you guys may know, um, parent, like parenting takes a lot out of you and you mm. lose a lot of your identity because you feel like, I constantly have to entertain these jokers. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, what happened to just going outside and coming back with a bloody nose? Like, it's like, <laughs> now we have to perform. Like, every day has to be Disneyland. And right. uh, yeah. at some point, even with autism, you have to be like, you know what? It is okay if I just put an iPad in front of their face and just be cool. Like, I just need to, I need sanity. Um, yeah, I need to be able to, um, and then you know, kind of love love my wife, and we have to remain intimate and and together. But here's the other thing that I we struggle with is how do we not forget about our daughter? You know, mm, what I mean? right in this process yeah. as well because she deserves attention. She's not an adult; she can't be an adult to these boys. Um, we're gonna teach her how to care for them in a way, but she also 
is going to have to have some independence in herself. And so, yeah, it's a whole lot. Also, I will say this is be ready for. <laughs> I'm laughing. It's totally sad. I don't know why I'm laughing because I'm thinking about friends of the past. Um, you won't get invited to some events and parties that you used to get invited to because mm-hmm. your kids' behaviors are awkward and they're weird and they're quirky. And so that's yeah. when you'll find out who your real, real friends and family are. Yeah. Um, when. You, when your son can go through people's house and do things and you're just like, don't worry about him. He's cool. Like, you know, mm-hmm. just let him wander. Let him do his self-stimulating things as long as it's appropriate, obviously. Um, right. Like, you know, so there's a whole lot that people helped us and told us and made us more comfortable so that all of a sudden one day we became like the autism parent experts. And I'm like, wow. I don't I don't know. I just <laughs> we're trying to figure this thing out ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't so, imagine. I can't yeah. imagine. Let me ask yeah. you one last question, then you'll go back to um, uh, slowly turning into your version of Iron Man without the self limit. I've literally never thought about the fact that he created his own problem, but now it's wildly yeah, but, profound to me. But, yeah. All, like, all of his personal movies, definitely, like Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, clearly. And then uh, Ultra Atron, like uh, Age of Ultron. It's like that was Tony Stark. Like you, that was, you did that, sir. Yeah, you gotta fix. You gotta clean up your mess. <laughs> this is your fault. Um, so. Okay, so so I want to ask this because um, I thought this was a great this was a great thought. Like, can you speak to how you've encouraged your kids to embrace their black identities? Because this is something that I don't hear enough parents speak to, and it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I uh, grew up in a house. My parents and. My parents were, you know, and aunties and uncles, they all made sure that we loved each other. I mean, grew up in California, so Southern California was like the, well, Northern California, but also Southern California is the, like the, the home of the Black Panther Party in the 70s. And so this mm-hmm. is where my parents kind of, oh, wow. my mom was actually involved in the, the, the party. And so they were very conscious about race and about Black identity. The reason why my name is Amisho Baraka, um, her name was Donna. My father's name was Reggie, and they said, you know what, we're, we're going to change names and give all our kids uh, Swahili names because we just want them to grow up being proud of wow. being, you know, black. <laughs> it actually created an adverse effect. I was like, oh, what the heck is my name? I don't know what this is. I don't want this name. I used to go tell people my name was Eric. So. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but it wasn't until, like, late high school that I really, really, like, was like, you know what? Amisho is a wonderful name, and mm. I should be proud of it. Yeah. And so in the same sense, um, we at a young age, I mean, as our kids at a young age, my wife and I have tried our best to like, affirm mm. their, their, their beauty, their dignity, especially with my daughter. Like, being a black woman, mm. I find, I, I assume, is extremely difficult in America. W- one, being a woman is very difficult. And yeah. I don't say that to be pandering mm. um, in any political way. But, I mean, we just think about the standards of beauty, the expectations that women have to deal with and, you know, mothering. And then if you're a mother and then you want to go back to career, it's just like all these these things that we, we press upon women. Yeah. And so for our daughter, we just wanted to alleviate the, the pressures of beauty and say, look, however you wear your hair, however dark your skin, like know that you are beautiful. And here are some images through paintings, through movies, through music that I want you to just listen to and appreciate and love. And as you can see, it didn't work that well because her favorite band is Imagine Dragons. So it's 
<laughs> we failed. No, I'm joking. We did a great job. Actually, I think we succeeded so well that she didn't feel the need to have to play to the stereotypes of black music or play to the stereotypes no, of what that. it means to be I black. I love that. Right? Uh-huh. That's great. And she's completely comfortable with who she is that she's like, I love anime. Hmm. I love mm-hmm. Imagine Dragons. That's great. I love Panic at the Disco. I love hmm. all these bands. She probably listened to some of your music, John. And uh, yeah, she did. <laughs> and so, um, but she also has locks like mine. Like she hmm. loves her locks, and um, yeah, she's a little. Sometimes she's a little too comfortable, though. If I'm be honest, I'm like. I'm gonna put her on blast. Like, shave your legs a little bit. Shave them a couple times. <laughs> like, like, okay, let's go back to that original conversation. Exactly. It's like I want you to be independent. But yeah, yeah. So let me. I, I want to ask this question. This is the last. I swear, this last question. Um, how, like, that's not true. It's not. That's not true. It's not true. It's. I always say that to. I'm free. I don't have to pick up any kids because okay, they. You good. Know. Good. I just want to be sensitive to your time. Because remember, I don't pick up kids. I don't care. You're. You're proving to be so wise and and uh, interesting. I can't stop asking you questions. So so, you know, de- dealing with that, John and I were kind of talking about this, and I think about our kids, and and I'm so thankful that they have friends, you know, that are their age that are people of color. It's just such a blessing, you know, that they that some of our friends and. And then their friends, you know, are are, are different than they are. And mm-hmm. something I've really had to watch, you know, we have a nine-year-old boy. And, you know, uh, is what I don't want to do with him. And as the kids get into that age where they're, um, they're starting to come in and say, oh, we played with all these kids. And uh, one of the little boys was brown. I'm like, oh, that's great. And mm-hmm. it, I, I immediately have a dilemma trying to be like good dad. You know, trying mm-hmm. to be like twenty twenty one dad. It's like, do I lean into that space and go, mm-hmm. hey, because you know I take, his life matters. Yes, exactly. Right. I, right. I don't want to be like, <laughs> let's sit down and really talk about what was he like. Tell me, what did you like about him? Did, wasn't he a great kid? You know, but but, but to really go, um, I was telling John at the dilemma. What I don't want to do is act like it's not a thing. So be like, absolutely, oh, yeah, he's just like you. Isn't that great? It's like, because yeah. he's not like you. He it's has a right. very different absolutely. experience. But, it, but also not lean so hard that I'm suddenly giving this like dissertation to my nine-year-old right. about my version of what black history is, which is already wrong. Right, you know, right, and, and, right. And, and, and trying to navigate the space as they get older and they are, you know, I was laughing with John. The worst thing I want is for, for them to turn, you know, 40 and suddenly go, man. I'm suddenly enlightened to these things that yeah, I got woke at 40, but I also don't want to try to make a little woke nine-year-old. You know what I'm saying? But, no, but yeah, I think that's beautiful. It, and, and so how, you know, as, as you talk about a trying, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my kids really are beautiful because my wife is, but, um, but you know, how, how do you, as you're mm-hmm. leaning and encouraging your kids in their identity and in, in their black identity, what is your advice to, to the people that are listening to white parents that are trying to be mindful of this, of this, um, rub that's not bad friction but there is a difference there are kids yeah. who have different experience like to john's point they well, could be asian we- they could be black they could be you know they could right. be hispanic whatever they are and not sort of going no we're all the same we're just going to keep moving the ship forward and pretend like everything's you know every kid has an equal opportunity and we're all the same but also mm-hmm. not turning your house every time my kid comes in going like <laughs> i can't tell my kid i have a new hispanic friend because he's going to launch into like you know, some diatribe about, do you know what they have been through? And, right, you know, right, but at the right. time, that's probably appropriate. Were you do about you know to say something, John? I don't know if you. 
Well, I was just going to say, I, I love hearing my daughters talk about their friends at school and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And because it, it's because it because there is no, it's so innocent. Yeah. And and they've like you said they they say brown skin. Yeah. You know, I just love that. Or they, my youngest daughter Livy will say she ha she has brown. You know, it's just so cute. So she I love brown. that. But I also yeah. was saying to Dave, I was like, well, yeah, I, I don't want them to. <laughs> 38 like i'm 38 and realizing some things yeah no you know? i think this is beautiful tension man i um quick anecdote our daughter went so we live in atlanta atlanta is as you know it's yeah it's all people call it wakanda black heaven whatever whatever <laughs> black heaven is amazing our, our kids went to a, a our, my daughter went to a private school for about six years maybe where it was 99 percent african-american oh wow and uh exceptional school um <clears throat> but she realized that she was getting older up until about uh eighth grade in eighth grade she came to us and she said i want to go to a more diverse school wow and and i was like that's very mature of you do you understand do you know what you're asking and i i knew she was asking because she was a wise sharp young young girl and i was like you know what you're asking though i don't are you ready for the experiences of being a minority because you've wow. never been a minority ever in your life, even at church. Um, you've, you, you have friends who are white, you have friends who are Hispanic, but you've, she's never known what it's felt like to be a minority. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, I can also, I just say, one of the things, again, quick sidebar, one of the coolest um, things that I heard was when Questlove had Usher on, and Usher said, Atlanta is the only place in America that's the tr that that can happen. And that yeah, blew my for mind. For the most part, yes. And, and, you, and not only that, is that you will get a like a different stratas of black experiences, mm -hmm. um, and so <laughs> it's really it's really a city where you can see where this isn't this is a whole nother conversation, um, where you can see that black people are truly different, and it's not all roses and peaches even when black people are in power. Right, you, there's right. conflict. Um, so people are people. Yeah, people yeah. are people, and it, yeah. you don't need race to hate a person <laughs> to dislike a yeah. people. I know some rich black folks who are like I don't want them poor black people live next to me. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's this is the real world. Like so, the you give human people, dilemma, isn't it? Exactly, you give people access and power, and their self interest comes forefront. Yeah. So anyway, she she now goes to a school where she is a minority, and uh, and so she um, recognized like. There's some things that I like that like my you know Indian friends that my Asian friend and my white friends love um but there are also some things that I have uh affections and affinities for that I have to be kind of like the um the curator for them in wow. a sense wow right? and uh <clears throat> wow and i I think that's that's part of a, that's a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, what I would say to, to some of you guys is that what I think is being wise in moments, because there are going to be moments where you need to just, how about this? When I, when I remember when I became, when I was, when I became a Christian, a couple of years later, they asked me to be a leader at a summer project when I was in college. And one of the, the, the campus directors came to me. He said, now that you're a leader, this is what I need you to do. Um, every morning at 6 a.m., I need you to wake up and just act like you're praying. I don't care if you're still sleeping. I just want you to act like you're praying at 6 a.m. I want you to pray. 
I want you to get in a prayer position in your bed. But even if you fall asleep, just stay in that position. Because when the other guys wake up at 6.15, 6.30, and they see you praying, they're going to be like, this man is... This man is spiritual. You know what I'm saying? Um, and in the same sense, there are going to be moments where you can give, you can do like passive information in your house where, I don't know, like, you know, you guys want to watch some music videos? And instead of watching, you know, Taylor Swift, let's throw on some Beyonce. Mm. Let's throw on some, you know, some of this. Let's throw on that. So now what they get to see is black, like the celebration of black faces wow. or Asian faces. Yeah. I'll say with with our family, I grew up, having extreme tension with like Asian people and Korean people. If you know anything about, you know, Southern California, especially the LA riots, when uh, the Rodney King, like Korean owned businesses and black communities was a, was a huge tension. Wow. And that's still a huge tension now. Like in some of your more dominated black communities, there seems to always be Korean or, or, or Chinese owned businesses um, selling products to us. Like, why are you, why are we buying this from you? And so that created this tension in me that I didn't have a, a, a healthy relationship with anybody of Asian descent until I was an adult. Wow. Um, and so what I knew I had to do was how do I overcome this prejudice? Um, and how do I begin to actually <laughs> humanize these folks outside of just being villains who come and appropriate particular culture, appropriate mm. our particular spaces? And then when I have conversations around my friends, when they say things that I know mm. aren't helpful, how do I say, you know what? No, that's not that's not right. That's not acceptable. That's and then having those folks come to my house, so it's like, you know, normalizing mm. things. How do yeah. you normalize interactions? So it's not just entertainment as well, because that's the other thing mm. that racism all mm. not racism. Um mm. I guess ignorance and prejudice often does is just the performance based aspect of a culture that is acceptable what not can to they normalize give to it. us right, right? yeah, yeah. the artists you know, the athletes yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. it's like yeah we'll celebrate them but like I've never seen one of them come over our house and have yeah. dinner <laughs> right you know what I mean but then there are moments where you do I've Beyonce a lot just FYI <laughs> yeah for, no, <laughs> I I that's, that's on her that's on her I drop her a lot of DMs but it's just I don't know it's not happening <laughs> and so um but there are moments when you do need to have that woke conversation with the nine year old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, on their level, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, um, because it, it, it's naive, it's naive of us to think that nine year olds aren't being exposed to racist ideas yeah, when they're not around you. Yeah. And so, um, when my when my like my daughter, we wanted to buy her like dolls that mm. made her look like made her feel comfortable. Yep. Um, and so when she made statements about like her not liking her skin color, all right, here's the time for the woke conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the time for us yep. to have, sit down yep. and talk about why don't you like this? Here's why mm. I think you don't like it. You know mm. what I'm saying? You watch Disney, you watch mm. Nick Jr. And 90% of the images on here, they don't look like you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so now we're about to spend 30 hours watching Doc McStuffins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you're not getting up for a bathroom break. <laughs> they are like, they are like, man, we've seen a real spike in Atlanta on stuffings. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, there are moments. So I would just say, just you gotta. That's this is great. where parenting, the wisdom of parenting comes in. It's just like there are there are times when my daughter now, there are people in my family <laughs> who remain nameless who have some very problematic views and. Now my daughter is at the point where she pushes back. Wow. You know I mean? Wow. Uh, when, when she's around these people. And wow. uh, because she knows it's like, 
this is not okay. This is wow. not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she also knows that when she's the minority in this space, is like, oh, I'm a, I'm gonna speak up to this. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that my daughter is necessarily woke. Yeah, I just right. Think she's she's yeah. just informed. She understands yeah. the, well said. the 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 importance of dignifying people. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Come on, that'll preach. Good lord, I love that. Well, show. We have two questions that we always ask at the end of interviews. Um, before we ask, I just want to say this has been awesome conversation. Yes, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so thank much you. for thank coming you. on the podcast. Thank you for um, having us. John's going to play a beat, and if you would just freestyle <laughs> over it again. It's, <laughs> as long as it's coming from his iPod. His iPod. It, the snare was probably on one and three. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I, I flew all over the place, so I yeah. can probably, I'll, I'll land on it. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll find it. Um, I'll find it. Okay, wait. Uh, where's the... Uh, okay, I'll, I'll ask the first one, then, Dave, you can land the plane. Uh, so what is the one thing you want your kids to know? Ooh. I'm not going to go with the the default religious answer, you know, to know God and mm. that's 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 obviously. That's um I want them to love God. I I guess I would Oh. I would say I want them to to know that uh, that their parents tried their best mm. to reproduce in them um, ideas and practices that would be best for the world. Wow! And yeah, jeez, producing them, producing them ideas and practices that would be best that could, that would be best for the world that they can reproduce themselves. Mm. Yeah, jeez, that's yeah. articulate. You should write and do that. You should more. write a book. I should you write, should a, book. write a book, <laughs> and yeah. then also rap a lot of great songs. <laughs> uh, okay, final question: What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? <laughs> He saw that it was good looking. Holding up the book. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm going to live longer than my kids because I'm a healthy man. So (laughs) she should should ask me what I'm going to say at their funeral. No. um... (laughs) That would be such a dark question. Could you imagine ending every episode with, what are you going to say to your kids? (laughs) If I'd ever come on this podcast again. Um, um, He saw that it was good. Mm. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That's what. I, hey, we yeah, have, I don't know. Um, we have hard covers in the lobby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was my. Um, what I want them to say when um, oh man, this is going to be really niche but poetic. One of my favorite books uh, is Tony Morrison's. Song of Solomon, hmm. and there's a funeral service in that book, and uh, the one of the the protagonists is our uh, the the protagonist passes away. One of the protagonists passes away, and the daughter or the the relative gets up and says, "She was loved." That was it. Oh, she was loved. And if my daughter or my kids get up there and just say, "He was loved." Mm. That's enough for me, man. Come mm-hmm. on. Jeez. Yeah. That's great. All right. Flexing. I respect that. Mm-hmm. I respect All right. Your that. book, He Saw That It Was Good, Reimagining Your Creative Life to Repair a Broken World. Isn't he in love? Guys, even if you can't read, buy hey. this book for the cover. 
Yeah. There's an Audible that's going to be coming out, Audible as well. The Audible is actually read by myself, my friend, uh, Nasia, and Tadashi. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, nice. Yep. And we, we do a little theatrics. The beautiful thing about this book that I didn't get to talk about is that there's fiction included in the book. So in between oh, wow. chapters, yeah. Look at you. There's, that's uh, cool. There's like four, sh- three short stories and two poems, if you will. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. That is, John and I were laughing, like, that's always the trickiest thing about this podcast, because we get guests, and then they're like, oh, they wrote a book, and I'm like, oh, you, uh, you're telling me this three <laughs> days before the interview? Like, <laughs> yeah, let us see if we can get you one day of. I'm like, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be yeah. really interesting. No, no, I, I hardly expect people to read the book. Well, uh, I, I just, Which is good, because I can just lie about how good the book is and all the things, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. It's funny you ask a question about dragons. Chapter 4 is called Dragons. Um, <laughs> chapter 4 deals a lot with dragons. You should buy it. Yeah. Find those dragons. By the, oh, my gosh. That sounds like your next book, Find Those Dragons. <laughs> Boom. It'll be a business book. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. This was great. Damn.